All right, Dylan. Something I, I think truly incredible happened today. <laughs> I don't really know how to handle it all. I don't think it's going to sink in until later this week, maybe. But Phil yeah. Mickelson has won the PGA Championship at Keough Island. You were there for all of it. I'm jealous, amazed. I, I, I truly don't know what to do right now. Yeah, it's overwhelming. It's funny. It was especially overwhelming being there and then trying to figure out how to write about it. Um, I think you did a pretty good job. I was assigned the the game story for the day, so essentially just painting the picture of of the action of what happened. Um, everything. I should everything happened. I should also just note for our listeners the audio is not perfect because I'm driving to the airport right now. Um, but I'm going to take you on the on the drive with me here. So Phil Mickelson has won the PGA Championship. I just can't believe that Phil Mickelson is a major champ again at 50. There there were not indications really that this was None. happening. I mean, he played a really good round here and there. Um, he wasn't really the style of player that was supposed to perform well this week, but there he was at the end. There he was in the middle of the day. Suddenly his lead, I think, grew to five at one point. Uh, and it was just like trying to figure out how to make sense of it. My brain was scrambled, and that was before, you know, I ended up in this massive scrum of people coming down the 18th fairway. So I'm excited to kind of talk through a couple of things from this week. But overall, I mean, obviously massive credit to Phil. He proved himself the best golfer in the field this week. Um, and it was an inspiring victory. It was his sixth career major, his 45th career PGA Tour win. He now has tour victories that are separated by a full 30 years. <laughs> 30 years in between his first tour win and his most recent tour win. That's insane. Uh, the, the scene turned into pandemonium. I feel like it was kind of crazy for you even at the beginning of the day. I mean, we saw Kepka and Mickelson from the final pairing have, I believe, three different two-shot swings on the front nine. Uh, I believe there was at least one more on the back nine. So at least four two-shot swings between those guys from the final pairing. I mean, that just proves like the roller coaster that it was. One thing I want to know, like, was everyone on Phil's side? Was it such a Phil dominant scene, or were people cheering for Kepka? Like, did that exist? Yeah, there were. Uh, here's the thing about golf, right? Is it's not like you know being in an NFL game where you've got your squad and you're rooting against the other team. So I would say that a lot of people actually were rooting for Brooks, but every person there was rooting for Phil. It felt like so. Yeah. Yes, people were rooting for Brooks, but only in like a supplemental way to them rooting for Phil. So, I mean, look, Brooks is a popular golfer. He's a he's a polarizing golfer, but he people definitely really like him. Um, you know, he's done a pretty good job of getting his brand out there. I don't think he has much use for like traditional golf media, um, but yeah, he he's a popular guy. But then, man. Compared to Phil, um, on this stage with this story, no juice. 
it really it really hit home on 18 when very literally Phil was up on the green and Phil's fans had swallowed up Brooks Kepka. Um, <laughs> Kepka and Ricky Elliott were just stuck in the middle of thousands of people. They were trying to get to the green to literally putt How for birdie. How did they get there? That's my question. Yeah, they had two security guards that were No, but like, like how did how did they get oh, How did they get stuck behind? All right, so here's what happened. Phil played first. Um, he played from the left side of the fairway and he started and, well from strutting. off the fairway in the rough. He hit his shot, started strutting and then everyone rushed the field, in this case the 18th <laughs> fairway, and somehow they got all these people to stop just long enough to to let Brooks get settled and hit his approach shot and then it was just game on but because you know Phil was already walking Brooks was like hitting his shot so it just takes a little bit longer for him to catch up to Phil and by that point the crowd had just completely overwhelmed him they they overwhelmed Phil to some extent he just had more security in place but it was this funny thing where everyone was like running and no one was even sure where they were running to it was like they weren't even running to Phil. They were running past him. So, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. It was like, you know, mob behavior. I don't want to make it sound sinister like that. But there were a lot of people in a small space. And it was it was at least a little bit concerning at a couple of different points. So uh, I was glad that everyone seemed to make it out okay, although uh, Brooks did not leave a happy camper. Yeah, I, I mean, I initially thought, holy cow, this is – this is sort of like Tiger winning the Tour Championship down at Eastlake with the, the mob crowd. And then I, like, I took a screenshot of the broadcast, and I was like, oh, no, this doesn't quite hit like that. You know, it's not quite as, as packed. But then it yeah. got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when the people had to stop around the green, it just the circle of people just got wider and wider and wider. And then there's, you know, these these borderlines you can't go into the ocean <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you can only really go in so many places and it just felt like everyone who was at Keough Island stayed at Keough Island to watch yeah. everything finish I think the big difference between this and the tour championship um and we we weren't at the tour championship we were actually watching in Paris yeah god what a time um but that's a different subject for a different podcast I think the biggest difference here was that in 2018, Rory was playing with Tiger, and he was, you know, kind of walking quickly to stay ahead of the crowd. Here, there was mayhem in the sense that the crowd was just everywhere. They were coming in from the sides. They were they were passing the players and the security. Um, so there probably weren't quite as many people at this one, but it definitely felt a little bit more out of control. Um, and I think that was the that was the weird part. I thought people might charge the green. I thought that, you know, there was going to have to be a stoppage in play or some something <laughs> strange was going to happen because, um, you know, it just didn't seem like there was any way for anyone to actually exercise control over these people. But then, you know, luckily, I guess these golf fans knew enough to, like, leave the green clear. So they yeah. were able to putt out. Um, it would have been really interesting if – Kepka had made his birdie putt and then you know yeah. Phil had had to sweat out a little two putt from from 20 feet or whatever he was so. or or if Phil had like missed the green if he had not hit 
uh, an, just a perfect approach shot. I, I yeah. don't think, you know, I think it was easy to get caught up in the moment of all these people uh, charging just the hole, but Phil hit a really, really, really good approach on 18 from what wasn't a perfect lie, uh, and that's a shot that people probably won't appreciate over time. I don't that's think. a really good point because suddenly things were not so certain. Kepka was in a perfect spot. Yeah. Um, Phil, even as recently as yesterday, trying to finish out his, his Saturday round, had a pretty easy approach into 18 and fanned it out and left himself a really difficult up and down. And if he had done the same thing today, oh my gosh. Oh, it would have been <laughs> really intriguing. I don't know what the crowd would have done. Um, but instead, you know, he, he did what he's basically been doing all week, which is hit the smart shot and basically take an iron and hit it where he's looking. Yeah. Uh, I think it was one of the best ball striking weeks of Phil's career. And that was the kind of perfect cap on it. Just numbers like in terms of greens of regulation, whatever that are just aren't going to stack up when you compare it to his master's victories. But yeah. this is like, this was fire breathing Keough Island. No one else beat four under for the week. Phil was once at 10 under because of his iron play. <laughs> he was number one in strokes gained tee to green just like working the ball both ways off the tee driver three wood two iron like everything <laughs> like every club it was yes. it was truly masterful tee to green game that this guy has not had outside of pebble beach and the wgc in mexico he hasn't had that that control in most of a decade right and to do this at a major championship course, you know, look, they're all golf courses, um, but but to do it at such a tough, demanding test where you really needed to um, have precision, not just in your aim, but in your distance control, was definitely a testament to Phil's whole game. The, the thing that's weird about Phil and was also weird in those other, you know, semi-recent victories, or at least, um, contentions is that they just come out of nowhere so you just have to trust that phil still has this ability to just turn it on and find it yeah but you just that's what i think i'm still struggling with is the fact that you know how are we supposed to see this coming um you can't you and literally, I, I don't you, have a great couldn't. answer for you i yeah. the only way you could is if you were a knee-jerk reaction type of person, and you looked at his Quail Hollow first round, in which he shot seven under on that Thursday, uh, and you thought, you know what? That is a sign of things to come. <laughs> that it was, that was yeah. how Phil played perfect golf on, you know, what, what I guess I guess is, is technically a major championship course. Like, that's the yep. only conceivable scenario. Um, but that, yeah. week, that week was... You know, he shot seven under in the first round. He finished at seven over for the week. So, right, <laughs> it it was impossible to see coming. You don't have to keep yourself up at night wondering why we didn't see it coming. <laughs> we these guys talk about their form all the time like this. I I'm feeling really good. I've been playing yes. great golf. I haven't been scoring. It is one of the worst cliches, not only on tour but in Phil Mickelson's book of cliches. Like he uses that all the time. He's been saying it like crazy. 
you're not you don't need to take the guy at his word um and unfortunately yeah this week i guess we had to it's just it, it boggles the mind really yeah it does it does because in, i think sometimes you want these majors to be um culminations of good play to make sense exactly this one at least still makes sense it's still satisfying right it's an extremely satisfying win as a bookend to phil's career and it makes sense in the sense that phil is a winner and it makes sense that guys that are good at winning win yeah and unfortunately guys like louis oosteezen seem more doomed to these runner-up finishes um so it makes sense in that way it makes sense that phil played yes one really good round at quail hollow and clearly still has that extra gear that he can shift into um but yeah i mean gosh my prognosticating was was not particularly good this week except sean i think actually we get a little bit of uh credit for I think we picked the the winning score almost exactly at the start of yeah, the week. So I did. shout out to us for that. Yeah, I was one uh, off. I picked five under. But I do. Uh, all right. So I have a question for you. Yep. Is there any other golfer besides Tiger Woods that would have garnered the same fan reaction on 18 today? No. No chance. No other golfer. There's just there. Can't Who's closest? Jack Nicholas, maybe. I don't know. Like, Jack Nicholas. You know, yeah. You know, that would be a real underdog story at this point, I would say. Um, I think, I think it, like everything, everything adds up in his favor. The, the, you know, one of the most likable uh, American golfers of all time. Uh, you know, the guy who has thumbed up to the crowd for decades now. Mm-hmm. He has an easy name and a fun game, and everything about him is. Well, not everything. Many things about him are, are quite likable. Uh, so, yeah, I you know, there's not another player who has a chance to cap his career like that. You know, like this is, this is a, a sliver of what Tom Watson almost did. Uh, mm-hmm. And yes. so I think the, the best answer would be another old dude who's had a great career and is <laughs> looking to cap it off. Yeah, and I, I guess Tom Watson, as ridiculous and incredible a story as that would have been, I don't think he would have engendered the same like love and passion that Phil would. I mean, people love Phil Mickelson. Holy smokes! <laughs> I always ca- I used to call him Uncle Phil because uh, I love that name, and you know, Uncle Phil was the lovable uncle in Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and. Phil Mickelson is kind of the lovable golf dad of uh, of American golf. But what what I really like, you said earlier, is that he was the best golfer this week, and not just because he shot the lowest total score, but he truly was the best golfer from Thursday to Sunday. It w- he was three over par on the on his front nine uh, during his front nine on Thursday afternoon, and he rallied, I believe, with a 31 on the back on Thursday. And I was like, oh, gosh, that's kind of weird. Like, Phil hasn't really done that at a major. He hasn't – he's kind yeah. of – he's leaked more than he's kind of put uh, the throttle down And when it comes yes. to majors. And so when he started out three over, I was like, ah, oh, dang. <laughs> yeah, Phil's definitely out of this one. And then he did it on Thursday afternoon. 
and then he did it on Friday afternoon, uh, and then it was like, holy cow, like it's up to him, you know, it's completely yeah. up to him to to decide whether this goes one way or another, and then all of a sudden he was at ten under on Saturday, and with a five shot lead, and I think uh, Chris Solomon knowing up kind of put it perfectly. It was like 50 straight hours of being on edge thinking, is this actually going to happen? Like yeah. an entire an entire weekend for the golfing populace, like suspending belief and asking themselves, is this actually possible? Yeah. And eventually it happened. <laughs> like, And what's so amazing is that there were numerous like peaks where we're like, you know what? We were right all along. It's not happening. We were right this whole time. He can't do it. Brooks Kepka, the Death Star, will do it. He will break him. Or, you know what, Louis Oosthuizen, a better ball striker, a better swing, whatever, he'll do it. There were peaks for all these dudes, and he fended off all of them. <laughs> like, yeah. like, Can we talk about why Phil was kind of odd this week? Like, he well, wasn't we can, totally but himself. For- yeah, yeah, but but I just want to – I do want to stick to that point because I think that's part of what's so important. I was just talking to Luke Curdenine, our colleague who was on site with me this week. Um, one of the reasons that I think, the, you know, the, the, uh, the data generation of golf here can be tricky is because we lose sight of certain things. So, you know, it rem- reminded me of – UCLA in the NCAA March Madness this year where on paper they were not really rated as a very good team so all the experts every round were like no UCLA is not actually good you know (laughs) they've got no chance and they just kept winning and so you know what you forget is that UCLA has a ton of talent on their basketball team maybe you know during the regular season they hadn't really shown that but there's some pedigree there in this case Phil Mickelson Yes, the data does not necessarily support that he is, you know, one of the best golfers in the world or has been recently, but there's an X factor there that if you're just looking at, you know, what seems rational based on the numbers, you're missing the big picture that, you know, probably 15 years ago with the same resume, we would have thought about Phil and frankly about Brooks Kepka um, in a different way entering the week. Yeah. I mean, in that in that sense, it feels a little bit like Jack Nicklaus in '86, where everyone had kind of forgiven up on him. Yeah. Uh, but back then, people were actually vocalizing it, like you know, Golden Bear, your time is done. I think we had all <laughs> agreed. We'd all agreed that Phil's time was done. Like we had a, we had agreed and forgotten about it. Uh, all of us except Phil, man. Credit to him. But yeah, what were you saying? I interrupted you on your on your way to a new idea. Well, just the idea about how he was a different sort of fill this week. And I, I got to be honest, I don't even know if I like this fill. I mean, if he's going to win majors, I love this fill. But he, he was kind of short with the press, which he has never really been. Yeah. He, he was, you know, on Saturday, he's telling a cameraman, like, don't walk straight in front of me. He had to run around that cameraman on that bridge. He was, like, you know, giving his cursory thumbs up to people, but he wasn't even really looking at the crowd when he was doing it. He was – I know he'll say he was focused, but, like, focused in a dialed-in, non-Phil Mickelson appearance way. And so that was weird. I mean, I'm sure you caught those vibes on site. 
Yeah, you actually expressed all of that very well because I've been trying to figure out how to say that. I mean, the dude was on edge all week long. After his good round Thursday, he skipped out on the media to, to go hit balls. After his really good round Friday, you know, he was leading the tournament and he took three questions from reporters. I know he did some other interviews too, so I know that that stuff can can turn into a grind, but that's pretty rare for a 36-hole leader to uh, to not really talk to the press. So there were moments in the press room where he was definitely short, and then on the course, he was so serious. Um, I think he's been meditating a fair amount, so I think some of this like visualization stuff uh, bleeds into his pre-shot routine, bleeds into his whole mentality. He really did not smile much at all. Uh, no. He took a long time before shots, just standing behind the ball and getting yes. like ready to hit. Um, he's just seemed sort of, it was like he was transforming himself to be in a different place or a, a focused place. Uh, not necessarily a happy place, just a zoned in place. Yeah. And you could just, everything just seems like it takes more effort with Phil these days. And I think he talked about that after the round. Well, he's um, talked about that for even a couple of weeks. I mean, maybe I think that's what we're seeing is his version of how he thinks he needs to be to maintain this focus. He said weeks ago, I'm having trouble focusing for 18 holes every single shot of a round. I'm having trouble maintaining focus, so I need to play 36 holes a day at home, even 45 holes a day at home in order to be able to focus for these 18 hole rounds when I'm on the PGA Tour. Now that like that mindset or that theory, it's hard for I think people like us to follow, but we don't know what it's going on in his head. We don't know what it's like to have thousands of people shouting your name yeah. uh, and expecting things out of you, expecting a thumbs up, saying things about, you know, who you are, what you've done, what your family is. like it can't be easy to focus and this has to be his way of doing it it's not exactly tv friendly but at this point it's phil it's phil friendly i mean it yeah he loves it. i think that that no that, that's that checks out i think what was inspiring about what phil said after the round and what was inspiring about just the fact that he actually did win is his take that look i can still do all these things it's just harder for me now um, and now he's proven that, yeah, look, he still has the ability to, to win a golf tournament, to be the best player there. Uh, there's just, you can see the work that goes into it a lot more. There was such a contrast watching Kepka and watching Phil during their warmups. You know, Kepka just has this jock swagger where everything is nonchalant, but, but still intense. Uh, and he really just does his own thing. I mean, he, he consults with Pete Cowan um, but before the round today, he was working on his putting, but he was, you know, just hitting balls and seems to just be getting his body ready where Phil was such a contrast. Phil had a broken golf club 20 minutes before his, you know, <laughs> tournament round started. He was grinding pretty intensely, uh, with his coach trying to get in the right position, trying to make sure he had proper width in his golf swing. So he was really working on specific positions, again, like 20 minutes before getting on the first tee. So 
he's working hard. It's just that he he really hit the perfect balance, I guess, this week of committing fully to the stuff that he's working on, getting in the right mental space when he was on the course, and obviously pulled it off. One of the things that, uh, well, you definitely captured it in your game story was just the the fact that one hole into this thing, <laughs> it was the Brooks Kepka show. He had it was over. The, yeah, he it had was the first over. Hole and and Phil had bogeyed the first hole, and so they had swapped uh, the advantage from Phil to Brooks. And not only did we believe that Brooks was going to win without any holes being played, we definitely doubly believed it when Brooks was up one through one, and. All of a sudden, Brooks gives it back with a double on the second. And then, damn it, it was like, holy cow, there has to be some kind of mood swings going on all over yeah. the place. It was crazy. Yeah, so not only was it a two-shot swing on the first hole, it was a three-shot swing in the second hole. Kepka making seven on a downwind par oh, five. That's so was, bad. It was the most surprising thing that happened all day, I would say. Um, yeah. You know, his tee shot wasn't horrible. He just missed a little bit left. He had 150 yards in for his third and, you know, tugged a wedge into a really bad spot. For someone that, when he's winning these majors, is always seems like he's in perfect control, I was just surprised at some of the things that he did today. I think it's funny that uh, you asked last week, on our preview podcast like who could use a wick a victory the most and first thought is oh jordan spieth uh he needs to get a major you know he he could win the pga championship the the career grand slam he would cement himself as the best non-tiger player uh or the post-tiger generation player you know if it wasn't spieth then it was rory right of course the answer was was obviously Phil Mickelson. You know, he could use a major victory the most. Um, we just never thought it was possible. But uh, let, let's move on. When to it, well, yeah, I mean, just one final thought on that is the flip between Phil winning and Brooks winning is partly so significant because if Brooks wins, he has five majors. He has, yep. A, more majors than Rory, so that puts him in a different spot in this generation but be the same number of majors as Phil. <laughs> I mean, instead we could be here talking about like, wait a minute, is Brooks gonna, you know, pass Phil in some power rankings yeah. of best players, which obviously he's, he's a ways from doing. But instead, this is like, you know, Tom Brady cashing in on that extra Super Bowl ring just to make it harder and harder for Patrick Mahomes yeah. down the line to, to come catch him in the legacy department so this changes everything for the way we're going to talk about this stage of phil's career uh it's so true um 13 players have won six majors so that notches up phil next to his buddy nick faldo uh, in terms of dudes who have six 13 is yeah a much, there's a couple dudes screen. with six that i could not tell you a single thing about Can, All right, well, do you let have me those look names it up. there <laughs> let me look it up real quick yeah, I'd appreciate that because, I mean, there's there's dudes with six majors like Nick Faldo, and then there's guys that were winning them, I think, you know, before the turn of the 20th century. And yeah. All right, so total number of six majors. 
Phil Mickelson, six. Nick Faldo, six. Lee Trevino, six. Okay. Arnold Palmer, seven. Sam Sneed, seven. Gene Sarazen, seven. Bobby Jones and Harry Varden, seven. Then mm, Tom nice. Watson with eight. Gary Player with nine. Ben Hogan, nine. Walter Hagen with a quiet, underrated 11. Tiger Woods, 15. Oof. And Jack Nicholas, 18. But Phil gets rid of the group of five. You yeah, that's Jan- the. I think that's what I'm thinking of. It's the group <laughs> at five that, that Kepka was going to join. Yeah, the group at five is Seve Ballesteros with five. Peter Thompson, who won five British Opens and no others. Unreal. Uh, Byron Nelson has five. Then you have guys named John Henry Taylor and James Braid, mm. who both won five uh, British Opens. In so the John Henry Taylor 1890s. was the guy that I really had in mind, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel comforted that he was playing in the 1800s because that's just that's yeah. it's not a gentleman whose game I'm familiar with. Yeah, when you look at it, a bunch of Scots and Brits just won only British Opens, <laughs> like Tom Morris Jr., Tom Morris Sr., Willie Park Sr., <laughs> uh, James Braid, John Henry Taylor, uh, Peter Thompson. All those dudes won all their majors in England, Scotland. They're lucky that that was not a time of sports talk radio. Yeah, and then Willie Anderson, Scottish man, same time period. He won four U.S. Opens, no other majors. Oh, which showed is off a little bit really more. Really sick. <laughs> yeah, uh, strange range. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's move on from the major championship list to talk a little bit about Kepka because he didn't get it done. And I will say this: I think he was on the receiving end of some bad luck. Um, mm. Bad for sure bad luck that he created for himself like the second shot on 11 his approach shot while phil is dealing with fans yeah uh, he laid up into a horrible spot his second shot on 16 downwind he needs to carry those bunkers and give himself a chance at eagle does not carry the bunkers the way he messed up the second hole the seventh hole these par fives like he created a lot of bad luck for himself or things that he can be construed as bad luck. And then when you add that to the fact that everyone on the property is pulling for your opponent in your group, I think it just becomes this kind of cyclone of kind of bad vibes. He had this this like hard left miss going yeah. for most of the end of the front nine and beginning of the back nine, and he wasn't adjusting it and fixing it. And he quickly got very close to being dropped from the broadcast. It was like that bad. Incredible. Yeah, and then he obviously worked his way back on with a, a couple birdies, but there was, yeah, that, I guess when it comes to bad luck, Kiowa, you can hit a bad shot and you can really get away with it, or you can really get punished for it. And uh, on the second hole, his approach shot really got punished because. For him to just be in a waste bunker but not really even have a great shot at chipping it onto the green, um, that means something has gone awry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, what was most striking? I guess it was the left miss. His putting was not good. I haven't really looked at the, the strokes gain numbers from the end of the day, but I know that he missed a, a few more short putts he made some yeah, he, he definitely was, some five to ten footers today too but 
59th today in strokes gain putting, so negative That's day. That's not good. It's funny, yesterday he was strokes gain positive. He said it was the worst putting performance he's had maybe in his whole career. Right. Uh, so if this was worse, that's not a good sign. Yeah, it wasn't even the second worst putting performance of his week. Uh, he was negative strokes gained around the green, negative strokes gained approaching the green. So really, you know, the left miss wasn't even the worst part of his day. In fact, his tee shots were his best part of his day. Uh, it was just unlike him. I mean, he was, he was pretty much strokes gained approaching the green number one going into Sunday. He was... Wow. Hitting, yeah, I mean, he was hitting it tight from everywhere. He was saying that his ball striking was his, his asset, which it hasn't always been, but it sometimes has been when he's won majors. When he won at Bell Reeve, he was flagging it and keeping up with Tiger. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just – he finished seventh in strokes gained approach despite being 60th best today. That just kind of shows you what he was wow. doing going, going into today. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think that we we just need to not, you know, for the next two years, we need to seriously consider Brooks Kepka yes. every no time doubting. we play a major championship. No more. You know, he just that. has to be there. He was, what, 50 to 1 in some sports books entering this week. Um, yeah. There were 15 people ahead of him, I think. And, you know, that's just a miss. That's just us not taking Brooks at his word and at what he's proven to us, which is that he really just cares that much more about the majors and that unlike a lot of other top players, him caring more about the majors actually leads to him playing better in the majors. Well, that's the thing, Dylan. You care a lot about the majors. That doesn't mean you're going to play great golf. And I think like, I think it, 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 it strikes a bit hollow when Brooks just says it's a major nothing else matters like of course yeah. buddy everyone on tour tends to think that way just right because jordan spieth knows that it's a major doesn't mean he'll play better like it doesn't make sense i asked him about this back when he was a player of the year a couple of years ago like brooks it doesn't make sense that you can just get up on a way that no one else can it doesn't make sense that you right. can get into a different focus and i know in years past He's kind of kept this uh, this strategy of no one who I don't want gets to come into my house the night of the, or the week of the major. So it's me, my agent, my chef, my caddy, uh, you know, my girlfriend, fiance, and nobody else. No one else gets to visit the house. And so I'm so dialed in. And you know, he doesn't do anything but think about the golf. You know, you've even seen him like blow off his girlfriend, fiance, Jenna Sims, in various moments when he needed to be dialed in. So, like, how is it possible that that level of focus is not something that can be ubiquitously met across the rest of the PGA Tour? How does it work for him? How does he keep his misses tighter during major weeks? How do other people screw up? And Brooks's mentality is just stronger. It doesn't make sense. I've kind of given up on trying to understand it. But like you said, he's the favorite at Tory. He is the favorite yeah. at uh, the British Open at Royal St. George's in two months. I will not accept anybody else un wow. un unless they win like two tournaments prior to it as the person that I expect the most out of at the major. I just can't. He continues to do this. He's not even healthy. He's not even healthy. I think that 
thinking about this as a loss for Brooks is still missing the point. Obviously, he's disappointed that he didn't win, and he certainly could have won the golf tournament today. He needed to shoot, what, even par today to force a playoff. Um, but it's still a success. I mean, the guy came in on a gimpy knee. He nearly won. He finished T2. Most of the top 10 players in the world didn't even make the cut. Um, so <laughs> Brooks being there was, you know, once again a reminder that he is the major killer. I think I've been thinking about this whole idea of effort. Actually, Phil used to get dogged for just not being willing to try hard. Tiger got praised because he was just putting everything out there. I think it's hard to put everything out there. It's hard to admit that you're trying your best, that you're zoning in fully, that you're committing, because then when you fail, it really sucks. Um, and Rory has talked about trying to find that balance between caring too much and then, you know, versus just treating a major like a, a normal week. And he clearly has not found that perfect balance. Um, but Brooks, like Tiger, seems okay with you know acknowledging that he's just zoning in and that his confidence plus his golf game are good enough that he can actually do it and uh and walk the walk but he is not infallible he is not uh no invincible i mean a little shaky on sundays at majors in our last few looks at brooks yeah i mean if you told him 24 hours ago Saturday night, hey man, all you gotta do to win is to shoot seventy-one. Yes, seventy-one. You gotta shoot one under, and you're gonna shoot. You're gonna be seven under for the tournament. You're gonna beat Phil Mickelson by one. Like, of course, we play that game every time there's a major, and someone, you know, shoots a couple over par, and all they had to do was shoot a couple under par. But the guy shot sixty-nine, seventy-one, seventy. All he had to do was match that second round seventy-one in. Uh, similarly brutal conditions and I know it's not easy it's never that easy it's never this simple but if you told him 71 or better wins it my gosh he would have taken that and sprinted to the bank sure well especially on a day where Abraham answer goes out and shoots 65 <laughs> um, where you know there's guys that were going low Justin Rose made eight birdies I mean it got harder for sure as the day went along and that's why partly why we saw some really radical changes on the leaderboard Uh, you you know below Phil and and Louis and Brooks some really weird stuff happened Um, so there were there were some conditions that made it tough but yeah I mean if if you just tell Brooks hey look take care of the par fives you know keep it clean besides that he gets it done but that was not 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 in the cards yeah he looked pissed off afterwards signing scorecards he looked pissed off in his press conference he sounded pissed off he was second fiddle for the entire back nine and he couldn't muster up anything to do anything about it and he was particularly second fiddle when he was sworn by the crowds and he couldn't do anything about it what was what was Phil and Brooks's interaction like? Because I, I didn't really see what their greeting was, after, you know, when Phil won. It was almost non-existent. Now, I don't know what happened to, like, you know, sh- hand, shaking hands on the green 
or anything like that. Um, I'm sure he congratulated him then. But this this was like a little reprieve. This is in the this is in the scoring area, and Brooks Kepka's there waiting. And Phil has made this long trek. He's got this yep. camera camera in his face. Yeah, he's kissing babies and shaking hands. Yeah, he's shaking hands, getting congratulated by everyone. He's kind of holding things up for Kepka at least. And yeah. you know, when Brooks isn't winning, Brooks is upset. So he was he was being patient, I guess, but not really thrilled about what was happening. Um, Phil probably was congratulated like individually by probably 15 people on that walk. So he shows up and uh, they don't really exchange any words. And then Brooks says, uh, you know, why don't we say so like, good, good job, man. A great job, man. And then Phil said, thanks. And then they exchanged scorecards and handed in their scorecards. And that was it. And I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure Brooks, did totally mean everything he said. I'm sure you congratulate him down on the green, but it was definitely a little icy. Uh, it was less than I expected. I thought he was actually going to give him a hug for a second. He did not. So, uh, yeah, uh, if Brooks, Brooks was not happy and I guess he had every right to not be happy. Do we like the fact that pros sign scorecards after their rounds? Like that, that is part of the process because there's such a funny interlude after someone wins a golf tournament where they've won, but then they still have to go formalize it. So then they kind of go get a chance to collect themselves, but you lose a little bit of momentum in the process and then they come back out to like greet the crowd again. And I, maybe that's fun. Maybe it's like when you, you know, get that pause between the wedding and the reception. Um, (laughs) But my sense is that that. no other sport is anything like that, where you just have this dead time where, uh, yeah, the, the, the guy that just won the event is going to go disappear into a trailer where no one can see them, sign something, tally up some numbers, and then six minutes later, come back out and greet the crowd. I don't know. Think about it. If LeBron had to go to the locker room, and hang out for 10 minutes after he's celebrated a little bit and then come back. Uh, yeah. What if LeBron has to go in and, and add up the points for the <laughs> game? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. You, know? um, yeah, you don't see Mike Trout things. going in to make sure all the, all the squares on the scoring <laughs> sheet are filled in so they can add up the runs to six or whatever. It's That's a, it's a weird thing where golf uh because golf is so deep like the layers of professional golf are pretty deep and we have to keep them all sort of consistent golf just can't get past that Um, but the leaderboard looks weird it will forever look weird Um, there's a lot of names that finish in the top 10 that i don't think played very good golf this week Um, you look at the top 10 and you have bunch of dudes under par today and you have three dudes over par today and those three dudes over par are the three dudes at the top phil louie and brooks louie and brooks both finished tied for second uh no one is going to talk about how louie ustazen was five under and playing the 13th hole and for the second day for the second day in a row he hits it into the water on 13 at five under at that time a five under total that he would have begged for three holes later how no far into the water did he hit it? I was in the I was in the group behind at that point. 
How yeah, bad was his shot yeah. into 13? It was very bad. It was not close. <laughs> and Shoot. so, yeah, you know, it's like he had that miss, the same miss that showed its face at the Zurich Classic a couple weeks ago in that team event with Charles Schwartzel, the same miss that showed itself uh, on Saturday, the same miss that showed itself on Sunday. Like, it has to be a pressure miss for him. I'm sure the wind wasn't uh, necessarily helping him out, you know, necessarily. Like, it's probably a thought process. This is the, what is this wind going to do to my miss? Um, but, yeah, like, Louis finishes second again. And he was burning edges on the back nine. Yeah. He almost made, he almost made eagle on 16. That would have made things really interesting. He would have got back oh, to five under. I know. You could see the agony on his face on 16 when that putt just slid over the edge because, I mean, the dude was not putting it well, don't get me wrong, but he slid some serious putts over edges this weekend. Yeah. it It's funny. Do you, like, we thought he could maybe do it, but then when he didn't do it, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. It does. It does make sense. Do you think that Louis leaves here feeling – happy or upset i think he's got to be upset because as great as phil mickelson played the door it was open man (laughs) the door was so open it and not even just that like he had reached six under earlier in the event but the door closed because of his own doing it didn't really close because Phil played great, great golf. He wasn't playing golf that Louie wasn't capable of playing. But Louie hit into that hazard on 13 on back-to-back days. Like, yeah, he, he had his chance. And, like, these major championships come down to one or two or three chances. And Brooks Kepka has somehow made them look easier than they're truly capable uh, of making them come true. But those are the chances that lead to like golf legacies that's why jordan speed beat matt kuchar he had a chance to make the best bogey of his life and he did at burkdale and he became a champion like it happens when henrik stenson beat phil at uh troon there are weird chances that he had and he got lucky but made the most of them like there are only a couple when these elite elite players are playing against each other that show their face every round like Everyone is going to shoot around 70, and it's the strokes that are between 65 and 70 that decide whether or not you win the tournament. It's like, it's like that old saying in baseball, where it's like you're going to win. A, you have 160 games, and you're going to win 60 and you're going to lose 60. It's what you do at the final 40 that decide whether or not you're a playoff team. That happens mm. in golf tournaments too. Yeah, and. It's what Louis Oosthuizen does with those few moments that keep him finishing in second and keep other people winning and hoisting the trophy. It's funny to think about what would have happened had Phil done the same thing that he did down the stretch, but instead of a five-shot cushion, he had had, you know, a two-shot cushion. I mean, if he... If he makes, what was it, three bogeys in the last five holes? <laughs> you start to think about that a lot differently. Um, yeah. But it's all, you know, th- that's it's too big a hypothetical. He was in the position that he was, which meant that he could make the bogeys that he made. 
So you can't really yeah. hold that against him. And it was three bogeys in the last six holes, but that is neither here nor there. Um, I mean, is there anyone else that we need to talk about? Shout out to Padre Carrington. I would like to talk about him because <laughs> of all the people that climbed the leaderboard and ended up in improbable positions, Patty Harrington finishing T4 makes the least sense, uh, but also is so perfect because he played with Phil on Thursday and Friday. He spoke very eloquently about Phil, about the aging process, about this idea of of gaining experience but losing innocence um, in a way that really stuck with me. So for him to talk about Phil that way and then end up just playing some really good golf on Sunday to climb the leaderboard as an aging Ryder Cup captain, I think that deserves our attention. It, it really does. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is where things get so weird is when we decide to start talking about the Ryder Cup because – one, you had Patrick Harrington, the captain, finish T4, something that we'll forget about by the time September rolls around. But anyone else finishing T4 in terms of the Ryder Cup standings is freaking thrilled right now. So that's yes. why it's so funny. It's like there are Shane Lauer finished T4. He's really in a good place for the Ryder Cup. Paul Casey finishes T4 in a great place. Justin Rose needs some Ryder Cup points. He finished T8. Uh, Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler, Tony Finau. Like, the Ryder Cup is a big deal right now. And so Padraig Harrington is going to captain the team. He's not going to play on the team, but that's impressive. Phil Mickelson is a major champion. He's a major champion within six months of the Ryder Cup. And now Yikes. Steve Stricker is making six captain's picks. How Truth. in the hell? Like, I know how in the hell, but how in the hell can a captain who's kind of a diminutive figure when it comes to <laughs> the Ryder Cup, how can he have six captain's picks and not choose a major champion? Yikes. When you put it that way. <laughs> I, know it's you gonna be, I know you don't feel good about this. <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for reliability on your team, Phil Mickelson is not the first person that comes to mind. I think he has to validate this win in some way. He just but validated everything, man. He did I, validate it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's done. I keep. He had to validate his first round with his second round and his second round with his third round. He did it. So I still need to clearly get used to the idea that Phil Mickelson is once again a major champion, and I just don't think I'm all the way there in terms of processing it. Steve Stricker said that this actually also was a decent course to look at when thinking about whistling straights, yeah. which was pretty funny. So he, he really entertained the idea that, yes, this is an important measuring stick. So, gosh, man, <laughs> Phil, look, he's right that he has not lost anything when it comes to speed. He's, he's gained speed, if anything. He hit it. Kepka smoked a drive down the 16th today 361 Phil, yards what did phil hit it 366 poked 366, it right past six but like i thought it was 370 i was like how how <laughs> how brooks did you just get bossed obviously by five yards by a guy yeah. who's 18 years older than you it's ridiculous the whole thing <laughs> defies any logic. I know Phil's got the long driver. He's got the long swing. 
but you know, man, it's this weird combination of, um, you know, when we see Tiger Woods win, it's inspiring because of his, his effort and his greatness. And I was really struck by that in 2018 and 2019 when he won the masters and just his, you know, his willingness to keep grinding and not to give up. That was what made his masters win so special when we've seen Bryson win in recent years, he's, he's won a bunch, uh, after transforming his body. When we saw him win at Wingfoot, that was inspiring in a different way because it was cool to see someone completely reimagining the game and the way it should be played. And then to have that reimagination work at the highest level. So that was pretty cool too. And I think with Phil, you have elements of both of those things. You obviously have the aging process, um, the fact that he's older now and that no one really believed he still had something like this in him. But then you also have this, this sense that Phil is a tinkerer and he's an experimenter and he lost a bunch of weight. He worked out a lot. He got longer. He tested different equipment. He's drinking only coffee and, you know, who knows what. <laughs> There's something really cool about the way he has tried to resist the advance of time and clearly has done a pretty damn good job succeeding. Yeah, for me, it, it comes almost in an annoying fashion because, like, Phil, he kind of became this character who we could poke fun at because he's kind of crazy and he will take, you know, a lot of different routes to get to, I don't know, wherever he is now and we made fun of him the whole way and suddenly like <laughs> it's all validated like the fasting him resetting his immune system constantly talking about inflammation yeah. all that stuff I'm like dude you're you're just not you're actually not healthy when I saw him at, at the Genesis Invitational in uh, February of 2020 right before the pandemic Yep. I looked at that guy and I'm like, he is not healthy. He's 49 and he's frail. Too skinny? And he's too skinny and his arms don't look like a pro golfer's arms. It doesn't look good. And I'm just like, this guy can't do it again. He can't do it again. Like, what he's doing to his body is not a net positive. Yeah. And it's all validated by him just truly having one of the best ball striking performances of his life. It is validated. I would say he looks he looks better now. He's definitely not you know unnaturally yeah. skinny or anything like that. Um, he looks strong. He looks ridiculously tan. I mean, I know hmm. the dude lives in California, but my God, I don't completely understand that. Um, right. Let, let's, I don't know, man. Let's um, my wrap mind this is up. blown. <laughs> let's wrap been, it up. It's, we continue it's to say one a.m. Let's shout it out. Let's first of all, let's shout out your boy Bryson DeChambeau, who shot 77 today. Uh, that 77 was matched by Gary Woodland, who was once four under and then shot. Gary seven. Woodland shot 77. <laughs> yeah. Holy yeah. cow! That's what I mean. Like there are these dudes that were on the leaderboard and then they just vanished, and I don't even know. Like Jordan Spieth, what did he end up shooting? He shot three over today or something. 74 today. Okay, but it two over like, today. He is completely out of uh, the discussion. Brandon Grace shot 78 today. Oh. 
Yeah, you kind of like looked down. What about Christian Bezudnot? Uh, 77 for him. So then they were a pair. They were in, they were in that whatever it was, fourth to last group, and just ejected completely. So, I I mean I'm excited to rewatch this tournament or at least you know study the leaderboard and figure out what the hell happened beyond obviously the magnet of of all our attention which was phil winning yeah all right well that's good enough that is 56 minutes of you and i talking about the pga you've got another 56 plus minutes of your drive uh stay safe best of luck and we'll talk to everybody (laughs) we'll talk to everybody about this after another golf tournament next week thanks sean see you soon